Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, August 25th. With just over three weeks until the federal election, we take a look at the hot topics being addressed by the three major parties. We speak with Amanda Connolly, national online journalist with Global News. Next, it's another opportunity to catch up with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist with the University of Calgary. As always, Dr. Janney answers COVID-19 questions as sent in by you, the listeners. How is your mental health holding up as we move into this fourth wave of of the pandemic. We hear details on a new study that indicates women are facing more challenges than their male counterparts during this stressful time. We dig into the survey with Paula Allen, Senior VP of the Canadian LifeWorks Mental Health Index. And finally, it's a chance to get your heart pumping and at the same time support Calgary Pride. Put on your neon headband and leg warmers. We get the lowdown on the first ever Pride aerobics session being held next weekend. From housing cost concerns to a surge in the Delta variant cases and the current situation in Afghanistan. This morning, we're taking a look at the upcoming federal election and the hot topics that are top of mind for Canadians right now. Joining us this morning, Amanda Connolly, national online journalist with Global News. She's got some details for us. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Well, let's talk about housing to begin with. We know housing has been a huge concern for so many Canadians, especially over the past year and a half or so. And we're certainly hearing it on the campaign trail. How is this shaping up to become one of the big issues? Absolutely. Well, I think that you can safely say, you know, whether you own or, or rent or are trying to own, this has been a doozy of a year and a half here, really, in, in the housing market in Canada. We're really seeing a lot of concerns about the affordability of um, of living, of, of life in Canada, particularly when it comes to access to buying a home and having a safe place to live. This has really been a, a key concern reflected kind of in the campaign so far. We've seen all of the, the major parties come out with their platforms on, on housing so far. Um, and again, really taking aim, I think, at both the issues here of supply of housing. We know that there's a lack of, um, a, a lack of adequate supply for people who want to buy, which is part of the problem here. But also looking at measures that the parties are saying will, could potentially cool the climate that people are trying to buy homes in and also address potentially the the, the foreign buyers question of, of their role in the market. So we've seen from the Conservatives, of course, that they've put forward a plan to build a million homes in three years. They were also the first to propose a two-year moratorium on foreign buyers coming into the Canadian market. We saw Justin Trudeau put his, uh, his party's plan forward yesterday. That really focused on both adopting that two-year moratorium proposal that the Conservatives had put forward and also laying out a plan to do things like ban blinds bidding, uh, enshrine the right to having a home inspection so that people are not waiving that in a bid to be more competitive in the marketplace and changing around some of the structures that people can save uh, save for a down payment and to try and make it easier for first-time buyers. So certainly a lot of a lot of questions here about whether those could work. We've seen kind of some some mixed uh, responses to both, both of the proposals laid out from the parties so far, but again, really reflecting that key concern that Canadians have right now about housing affordability. All right, let's just switch gears and talk about the Delta variant. It's rising across the country right now, and some provinces bringing back measures like mask mandates as a result. Is there a political risk for the Liberals if we see things like lockdowns reimposed and increased restrictions at this point? 
Well, they definitely took a risk calling the election when they did. Again, this was not an election that, that had to take place. The Liberals uh, did did make the decision to call this. And they faced a lot of questions about that, particularly about whether it was safe and responsible to do that. Um, they've said, yes, it is, that we can do, you know, we can tackle Delta and, and um, an election at the same time. But again, we are seeing mask mandates coming in, in in a couple of provinces across the country. A lot of concerns really being raised as kids prepare to go back to school. Of course, kids are not eligible for vaccines uh, yet so far. And we We've seen a real spike in the number of children in hospitals in a lot of states in the U.S. Um, in, in the past couple of weeks. And so there, there is potentially a political risk here if things go badly, if there is kind of a perception this was a, a, a risk that was not worth taking. We're going to have to really wait and see see what happens on that front in, in terms of how bad things get and, and what the what the response of the government could be. Mm-hmm. Amanda, let's talk about Afghanistan for a minute because it's a crisis that's obviously still dogging Justin Trudeau on the campaign trail. Lots of questions about the Liberals' handling of it so far. As that August 31st deadline looms, we know Canada now, uh, Justin Trudeau saying yesterday that Canadian peacekeepers may stay a little bit longer. He really is just kind of adjusting on the fly with this, isn't he? He is. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts in this. And, and really what he was talking about yesterday was about having Canadian military assets staying on the ground. So military personnel, we know that Canadian Special Forces uh, members are there, are operating beyond the perimeter of the Kabul airport. What that means exactly and kind of what their role is, whether they're helping Canadians actually get to the airport, we don't exactly know that yet. But again, a lot of questions here with this August 31st deadline set by the U.S. to withdraw their troops. Because again, the U.S. really is the key force in control of the Kabul airport. They are in control of air traffic command right now and really um, trying to figure out what what the path forward would be without them in it is a very tricky uh, proposition, I think, because of the, the the huge influence and the huge role that they have in the stability of the, this, of the situation right now. And even using, of course, stability is is a tricky term because it is so volatile and chaotic. But again really that question of whether it's possible to do this without the U.S. is one that the leaders are going to have to really contend with if they want to keep um, any kind of allied presence in there. But really, we know that Canadians are, have been so concerned and watching so closely with this tragedy playing out in Afghanistan as the Taliban seizes power. Amanda, thanks for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you. That's Amanda Connolly, a national online journalist with Global News. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the show Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary to answer all of your COVID-related questions. Good morning, Dr. Janney. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you being here as always. Uh, let's begin with this one because it's really the, the big topical one right across the country. It's happening in different provinces, uh, Quebec, BC, Manitoba. In your opinion, should we be wearing masks once again here in Alberta? Yes, I think that that is a a smart move at this particular point, even if you're vaccinated. uh, We are seeing a very small number of breakthrough infections, but the good news is if you're vaccinated, your risk of hospitalization is very low. Um, But you can still get infected, you can still spread it, you can still foster more virus in the community. So we need to get those numbers down. We've seen the curve now over the last few weeks. It is still rapidly growing, and the only thing that has slowed those curves before was a change in our behavior. So we either have to get our vaccination rate up dramatically in the province, or we have to do other measures. And perhaps the simplest is just to put on a mask when we're going into large indoor gatherings. 
Okay. Well, we got a question actually. It was on Monday. A texter by the name of Diane sent a, a question in about something we've uh, we've covered before, whether or not we will require a booster vaccine. And, uh, you know, when something like that would be, would it be in the next couple of months um, or would it be into the new year? And uh, would that be stronger protection against the Delta variant? So the evidence I've been seeing for the average healthy individual is we do not yet need a booster. So the protection we get from two shots, a full course of immunization, is still very strong. It is very protective against the Delta variant. Now, there are some people in the community, perhaps some of the older uh, Albertans, uh, some people with uh, a weakened immune system. So we do see this, for example, in people who have received certain organ transplants that have to be on immunosuppressive drugs. They can very much benefit from a third dose. And Health Canada is looking at that right now, trying to define who would best benefit from that. But in general, the average citizen right now, our immunity is holding pretty good. We may need a booster down the road, but it, it looks as though right now that it's not not needed at this point. Uh, Dr. Jenny, this is a common question we get from people who just are opposed to the vaccines, and I, I'm not sure if this texter is, but this is the question. Why are we having a fourth wave when so many are vaccinated? It just doesn't compute. Well, the, the level of vaccination required for a community or herd immunity is tied to how infectious a given virus is. So some viruses or, or some infections, we're pretty good at 80%, 75% is great protection for something that is very weakly infectious. However, something that is very infectious, and, and perhaps the best example we've been living with for decades now is measles virus, which is another airborne virus. That requires greater than 95% of people to be vaccinated in order to have a level of community immunity. In Alberta, when we look at the, the actual number of Albertans, not just the, the eligible, the total number of Albertans vaccinated, we're still in the 60s. I mean, we are a far, far cry from what we think we need, which is above 85%. Until we get there, we can absolutely expect this virus to keep going. The people who have been vaccinated will have some degree of personal protection, but it's going to have very minimal impact on stopping viral spread until we get above 85 or even closer to 90% of all Albertans, even those under the age of 12, vaccinated. Here's a question that's come up, and it has to do with logistics in different countries. I have an AstraZeneca and Pfizer combo. I want to travel. When can I get another Pfizer to appease different countries that require two Pfizers or don't recognize AstraZeneca? Yeah, that's a great question. I wish I had an answer. The medical answer is there's no reason why you cannot. We know that that immunity is as strong, or some of the studies have even suggested mixing the AstraZeneca and Pfizer provides more protection than even two doses of Pfizer. The problem here is the politics. It's getting other countries to recognize this. So at some point, the decision is going to have to come from the federal government or from Health Canada to either recommend a third shot for those people or to finally just convince people of the science that those mixed doses are as good or better than two doses of Pfizer. Another interesting one here, Dr. Janney, is there a possibility of developing a resistance to the vaccine if you get multiple injections? So uh, from the patient point of view, no, we don't, we've not seen any evidence of that. We've also, we do have a substantial number of people who have had third doses or our country's doing that. We've seen no ill effects, but we do have to appreciate that beyond Canada, there are a lot of countries who don't even have access to vaccine. And if we start consuming third doses simply because we think we need them, and there's no evidence that, that it increases protection or does any good for the patient, we're taking doses away from other places. And if those places could 
get vaccinated, we could really dramatically slow the emergence of new variants. We could get the viral numbers down and, and really make travel uh, much safer for everybody. Okay, uh, we're wondering if you can hang on for two more minutes with us, Dr. Janney. Of course. Good stuff. And our time is precious with Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. So we'll get back at it right now. And it's interesting to me because we've got another uh, question related to travel to a certain extent, but I think you might have the answer to this one or some clarification. Texter says, my wife has the AstraZeneca vaccine and we have travel plans in 2022. What is the holdup? of other countries recognizing the AstraZeneca? Yeah, again, great question. And the, the, the honest answer is I have no idea. Um, in, in particular, you know, the, the United States, uh, we're seeing some hold up with the AstraZeneca, yet they have used nearly identical vaccines there that, that, that are based on exactly the same technology, exactly the same target, but simply were not uh, submitted to the FDA for approval. Uh, I, I, you know, it seems to be entirely political at this point, and whether it's people protecting their own vaccine manufacturers or not, uh, I, I think this really does, unfortunately, fall out of the realm of medicine and, and into the realm of of uh, foreign relations at, at the federal level. Dr. Janney, this one, it's just an ongoing thing, and uh, I hate to ask it again, but I think it's an important one. We keep covering this. Someone texted in just now and said, why are we using the human population for stage three and four vaccine approval instead of animal? Fast tracking this shot has ignored normal testing procedures and protocols. And then they go on to say why it hasn't been tested in pregnant women. But let's deal with the fast tracking and non-normal testing procedures because we know that's not true. Yeah, that, that, that is uh, just inaccurate. Uh, phase two, well, even phase one. So early testing, uh, clinical testing for, for all new drugs goes through four phases. Even phase one testing is done in, in humans. That has always been the practice. So we're talking preclinical when it's animals. This vaccine went through all the preclinical. It had been in development with a different target, with a different uh, a specific virus target, but the, but the actual vaccine formulation, all of the technology, all of the delivery had been in development for years uh, prior to the pandemic. They simply switched the protein target, which is something we do every year for the flu shot. We know how to do that. We've been doing it for decades. Uh, it went through full phase one, full phase two. It went through full phase three. And in fact, it went through an enhanced phase three with many, many more people involved in the phase three trial uh, as normal. It went to the full completion of the normal testing period for phase three. That led to submission to the FDA. So there's been nothing cut on the corners of these vaccines, despite what people uh, are finding in social media. Got a great one here. Just came in from Joseph. It says, uh, can you ask the next guest what the treatment protocol for a person who just tested positive for COVID-19 is as of today? Yeah, so the treatment protocol is still you are required to self-isolate if you've tested positive, and then you simply manage your symptoms at home. If they become worse, then you would seek medical attention. So, uh, again, call uh, HealthLink, tell them that you had tested positive, tell them what your symptoms are, and they will then direct you to the appropriate medical center so that you don't have to go and line up in the emergency room and potentially expose other people. So right now in Alberta, if you test positive, you're still required to self-isolate. You manage that at home unless things begin to deteriorate, symptoms worsen, in which case then please call HealthLink and get instructions about specifically where and when to go. Dr. Janney, super quick one. I think it's important. Someone obviously has this on their mind. So I have an 80-year-old double-vaxxed family member. Is there concern with him meeting two family members who are not vaccinated? 
So the, the short answer is yes, mm-hmm. that, that is still a risk. The two family members who are not vaccinated pose a high risk of exposure to that person. We do know that the double dose is the best protection we can give those Albertans. But as we see in the daily numbers, there's a small percentage of breakthrough infections, very tiny. But those tend to occur in people with either compromised immune systems or older Albertans. And it sounds like this individual would fall into that latter group of older Albertans. So the risk of a breakthrough is higher. It's still, please don't get me wrong, it's still fantastic protection. Mm -hmm. But the risk is higher if the people visiting are non-vaccinated. All right. Thanks. You've done it again. Answered all those questions, Dr. Jani. We appreciate it. You're welcome, guys. Take care. You too. That's Dr. Craig Jani, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Well, a new mental health study from LifeWorks shows there's strong support for workplace mandatory vaccinations and a bigger hesitation from women to head back to the office. To help break down some of the findings from the report, we're joined this morning by Paula Allen, the global leader and senior vice president of research and total well-being with LifeWorks. Good morning, Paula. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good to be here. Let's break down the the study itself. What what were you asking? And, And let's talk about some of the results that you got. Well, our mental health index is something that actually we developed before the pandemic, but we uh, launched it in April of 2020. And what it does is it measures the mental health of working Canadians. And overall, what we saw is a massive decline uh, at the start of the the pandemic compared to 2019, like really in in crisis levels and not much improvement uh, since then. Uh, However, over the last few months, we've seen a very slight upswing, uh, really fueled by increased optimism. Why Why women? Uh, why are they, you know, uh, kind of highlighted within this research? Why, why are they having a, a more difficult time or challenging time, if you will? Well, one of, one of the things that we try to do in the Mental Health Index is really look at who's doing well and who's not and why, uh, so we can provide better support. And overall, we found that women have been much more uh, impacted by the the pandemic from an economic point of view, from a mental health point of view, uh, from many points of view. And the other thing that we have found is that um, an employer's support is very important in terms of people's mental health, but women are less likely to perceive a culture of support and well-being, likely because they're, they're feeling their needs aren't being met as closely as they would like. Mm. Let's talk about vaccination policies at the workplace and how that might affect mental health. And what did you find in terms of how many Canadians really want mandated vaccines for their co-workers? Yeah, well, when we look at the three groups, people who are definite about the fact that they want a mandated vaccine, people who are unsure, and people who don't want it, the ones who want a vaccine are definitely in the majority. And and I, I can understand that based on some other data that we have. People are really tired of this. I mean, they really want to make sure that they go back to the workplace in the safest possible manner. And there has been a lot of anecdotal uh, information that people are concerned about going back if, if, if a, a large proportion of the population isn't vaccinated in their workplace. So this is not a surprising finding, but we wanted to make sure that it was highlighted to employers. 
One of the stats that uh, grabbed my attention is that 9% of respondents want to work from home and avoid tension or conflict with managers or coworkers or to avoid in-person interaction with customers. Do you think, I mean, it, it, you might say it's only 9%, but you think about it, that's, you know, basically almost a 1 in 10 who uh, don't want to, to go back. Do you think this could force changes in people looking for new jobs? It could definitely be something that forces changes, but I'm hoping it actually forces changes on the employer's side. I mean, what we want is to, is to make sure that, um, I guess I'll borrow the term, build back better. Like if, 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 you know, we've been through a fair bit and there's a really good opportunity for employers to take a step back and say, so how do I really support my people the best? And tension and conflict in the workplace is definitely something that relates to poor mental health, poor physical health, lower productivity. So it's worthwhile looking into. So I think it's a good highlight to employers that, you know, we can't just expect people to want to go back to a workplace if there is some concern. And addressing that concern is beneficial for everyone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is something we certainly have been hearing, I would say, over probably more so over the past six months about people you know, concerned about going back to work and, and wanting to make sure that, you know, if, if they're in the right job, is it, does it make sense for them to go back to the workplace? And I guess, you know, that you, you found that as well, talking about respondents feeling the culture of their organization just doesn't support their personal well-being. So that was a big deal for, for respondents as well, wasn't it? Absolutely, and it makes a practical difference. We've, we looked elsewhere in um, earlier studies in the mental health index, and we found this, this this finding in different ways with different questions as being very strong. What an employer does, the attitudes in a workplace, makes a big difference. And with this you know, so-called great resignation, people are prioritizing their well-being. Uh, they're prioritizing feeling valued by their employer. And sometimes the feeling is that if somebody, you know, gives you a job, or what, is they're going to value a little bit more, whereas the one that you have might be taking you for granted. So I think there's some opportunity for employers there as well. Well, you know, I'm wondering, this mental health index lasers in on our nation. Do you, uh, from your studies, from your research and reading, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, how do we compare to other nations? Is this something that's happening across the globe from what you understand, or is it uh, more so happening in our nation? Nope, absolutely across the globe. So we saw the same decline in all the regions, U.S., U.K., Australia, as well as, as Canada. And, you know, even uh, some some of the regions like Australia was a lot worse right at the very beginning. We're all clustering about the same place now, which is still much more compromised than, um, than, than prior to the pandemic. So this is very much a global phenomenon. And, you know, we weren't we're not going to get out of this mental health thing immediately. If we've been in this strain for 18 months, we're not going to slap, snap out of it in two weeks, no matter what happens in our environment. So we really do have to invest in ourselves and in others. Yeah, we've certainly heard that from experts, haven't we, that the mental health pandemic will last far longer than the COVID-19 one. Thank you so much for your perspective and, and breaking down some of the results of your survey. Appreciate your time, Paula. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Paula Allen is a global leader, senior VP for research and total well-being with LifeWorks. And it's interesting, the greatest takeaway I had, and this makes a lot of sense to me when you really think about it, Paula Allen, of course, uh, she's, uh, you know, researches these things, was saying that that great resignation that we've heard so much about, people saying, yeah, I've stepped away from the office. I'd like to see changes. Maybe this job isn't for me. 
the resources, the time it takes to train an employee and bring them up to speed versus getting things right, tinkering, uh, not just thinking we're going to flip the switch and come back the way we were. Well, if that means losing a huge percentage of your staff, maybe those changes should be made. Maybe there should be consultation. Imagine this, among the employees to see what it takes mm-hmm. to keep them. I mean, obviously, people who are committed to leave are committed to leave. But if it's just the odd tweak and you can keep people happy, that goes a long way. And uh, just you know, any any job you have. We had somebody write yesterday about going to the bank, how he has his favorite bank teller that he always goes to. When there's people there who know what they're doing, that goes a long way for your company. Very true. You don't want to lose those people who just would like to work from home, say. But, uh, you know, just to play the devil's advocate, that's a tough one because yeah. then you've got all these companies with all these buildings, these office, this office space, and now, you know, half the people are in them because your employees want mm. to work from home. That's a tough one, too. And I, I think it's going to, we'll see it, you know, evolve a long way from now. It's not going to happen really quickly, just, to, you know, as she no, said. No, of course not. It's going to take some time to figure it all if out. If you recall, it was remember, last year we were going to get back to the office in like September. Mm-hmm. And then this year was get back in September. Yeah. Now, some Where of my friends now? who work downtown are t- saying in October. Yep. At this point, I've heard some people say as far reaching as it looks like January 1st. So it will be uh, not just measured in days and weeks, but in months, I would think. Calgary Pride festivities just around the corner, in case you weren't aware, August 27th through September 6th. And High Fitness is planning an event to recognize Pride and at the same time to get Calgarians moving. The city's first ever Pride aerobics class is taking place next Saturday. And with details on all the heart-pumping action that will be going on, we're joined this morning by Amber Zenith, co-founder of High Fitness. Hi, Amber. Thanks for being with us. Oh, hi. Thanks so much for having me. We are super excited to have this event happening this next weekend. Yes. Okay. Well, we all know what aerobics classes kind of look like, but how do you sort of make it more of a, a pride event? Okay. So what we've done is we've done a modern twist on aerobics. It's actually really simple fitness moves set to music. So you're just having fun, rocking out, moving and grooving to the music. It is so much fun. And we are all about being you aside from when pride isn't going on that is what we are all about is there's no better person to be than you so why not pride it's the perfect um combination of us and pride and high fitness so we just have so much fun great fun music and you move and sweat and it's all for calgary pride love it all right let's talk about fitness and the level of fitness required to take part in this amber do i have to have previous aerobics experience does andy need to wear a bodysuit is what he's getting at well, leg warmers are always optional, and so are body suits. Highly recommended to have more fun. Just kidding. Come as you are, but no, there is no level of fitness. Basically, you choose your own level, and you can move according to your level. You can take it high. You can take it low. There is absolutely no fitness level needed, only just a fun, positive attitude and be ready to sweat and have a blast. Love it. Amber, does it cost money to join up, and where are the proceeds going? So it's $25, and all every single penny is going to um, Calgary Pride. We also have a queen coming to do a warm-up number for us, Carla Mark. Um, she is fabulous, and she is going to be in, you know, in the mood to have some fun and do our aerobics class. So, yes, it's $25, but every single penny. So every um, person doing the event, everyone's a volunteer. Every penny goes to Calgary Pride to support. So it's a great way to get out, sweat support this fun cause and you know have some fun on saturday you said fun a few times so that's enough to you know maybe ease the pain of (laughs) you know getting the sweat on doing some aerobics but i'm wondering about the age range is this for adults or is this something you can bring the family to 
bring the families. The more the merrier. There's tons of space to spread out. I took a photo on the stage and I looked like a little ant out there. So there's tons of space. Um, you don't have to worry about, you know, distancing or anything. Bring the family. It's a fun event. My kids always want to come and have some fun. Um, this class in particular is open to anyone that wants to come and support. Highfitness.com to join up, to find other classes beyond Pride, but to have fun with this event. Highfitness.com. Thanks so much for joining us, Amber. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I can't wait to see Calgary out there. It's going to be great. Amber Zenith, co-founder of High Fitness. Thanks so much. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.